You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Even though we allow our bodies to be rendered each day through these technological means, I didn't intend for this to be a finger-wagging session at anybody. That doesn't get me very far. Instead, it was what in the world does offer your body as a living sacrifice to God? Not just mean, but what does it do? So, coming back to this theme of surrender, it's like there will be these places or these texts or these scriptures that I don't understand. And instead of, instead of thinking about them more, my mode as an artist seems to be placing my body and my heart and my mind and my spirit within the mystery. This podcast explores the mystery of relatedness as an organizing principle of the universe and of our lives. We are trying to catch a glimpse of connections beyond color, continent, country, or kinship through science, mysticism, spirituality, and the creative arts. I'm Donnie Bryant. I'm Barbara Holmes, and this is The Cosmic We. Today, our guest is none other than Billy Mark. Billy is an interdisciplinary artist who lives and works in the great city of Detroit. His areas of exploration lately have been embodied poetics, experimental liturgies, site-specific music and poetry, and also the creative and spiritual interpretations found in monastism. Billy, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. You know, there's so many different directions that we can actually take this conversation, Billy. But, uh, you know, first, I want to invite you to share about your origin, your origin story. Tell us who Billy Mark is. And, and one of the things that I think will be interesting for our audience and also for us to, you know, ponder is this. Was there a, a religious or spiritual influence that also influenced your, your journey? Mm, absolutely. Um, well, I think it's fitting for a podcast about relatedness to say that my origin story, I feel like it starts in the Navy. My dad was in the Navy, so we moved around a lot. I went to 14 different schools throughout my educational career. And I think just being from all those different places really kind of formed me, formed the way that I see the world. My spiritual upbringing has to be rooted in my mom. She was 19 when she had me. She was in Wisconsin. She was a, a white woman, a white 19-year-old, single, and people were like, no, no, do not keep that baby. <laughs> and so I guess my uh, spiritual beginnings and my life beginning starts with her yes uh, to, to my life, and so of which I am um, eternally grateful. And um, yeah, so she, she raised me for a while. She married my stepdad. He joined the Navy. We saw the world. We, you know, Virginia, Georgia, Connecticut, Iceland, Washington State, California, you know, beginnings in the Midwest. And I just, you know, people say, was that hard? Was that, was that difficult moving around so much? And I say, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it's who I, it's, it's how I got here. It's who I am. And I am super thankful for the perspectives 
of of being able to know what what the South is like, what the Midwest is like, what the West Coast is like, what the East Coast is like, what overseas is like. And um, I think that helps me. Yeah, that helps me. And so the spiritual side of things has been equally broad. I guess I, we started in a non-denominational background. And I went to churches, and then I went to college, and I was like, please, God, just let me do college the way I want to. I'll be back. I promise. <laughs> just let me, let me do this. And God let me do that for a little while. Until some until a Baptist preacher came knocking at the door, you know, on one of his rounds. And I was like, while everybody else was kind of, you know, hung over <laughs> in the apartment, I was like, you know, maybe I will go to church. And then, you know, help set up chairs when I went on Sunday. Everybody was at least 40 years older than me. And he would say a bunch of things that I didn't agree with. And then he would say Jesus. And I'd be like, yeah. <laughs> and he'd say a bunch of other things that I don't agree with. And it wasn't until it wasn't until like when I was about 21, I went and I had moved to Los Angeles and I was in Hollywood. And I went to a Presbyterian church. And there were a bunch of people my age, about I me mean, by a bunch, I mean like, you know, 10 or so. I was like, oh, this is strange. People my age who are super smart, super caring and warm. This is this is amazing. Uh, so that went on, and then um, I'll just give you the end of this, this this story is where you know then churches go through things, church split, which is which is really tough. There's no church, no hurt like church hurt. And then I remember um, we stayed at the church, and then I went to I went to the pastor at one point. And I was like the interim pastor, and I said, I have an idea. He's like, yes. I said, how much do you think we could get for this building? <laughs> uh, I said. I mean, it's right in the middle of Hollywood, like 10, 20 million. I think we should sell the church, <laughs> give every neighborhood like a stipend of $100,000 a year and to, to be able to pour into their neighborhoods. And then we should, we should do that. And then we should take out a full page ad in the Los Angeles Times that says, we are sorry for being an obstruction to, to God. Wow. He's like, well, he's like, well, this is the Presbyterian church. That's not how things work. I can't make that decision. I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool sure. And we, we stuck around for another year or so, but it was time for us to go. So my wife and I got a, a um, what's it called? A map of Los Angeles and a, gr you know how it's gridded back in the days before Google Maps. Mm -hmm. And we gridded out the word numbers. And then we spent several months inside of each letter, just kind of randomly going to places and that was our way of seeing the ligaments of the body of Christ in Los Angeles. Mm. And that was, so I think that, that desire, that way of using creativity and um, wonder and not knowing where we're going is, is deeply a part of, of my spiritual journey. That really helps me to fill in some of the things I was reading about you that I didn't know. And I may, I don't know whether you still live in this place, but one of the interviews included a description of your living space with a performance space and a stage and a prayer room. And so I was trying to figure out how the prayer room fit in with the stage and the performance. And so that helps a lot. So your faith is very grounded in community. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we, that relationship between the individual and the community and that dynamic and that tension is where so much growth happens. 
spiritually and in all, all kinds of ways for me. That's wonderful. As I was reading also, I, I, I was um, learning about your first artistic performance. Was it The Wrestler? Wrestle, yes. Yes, that was. <laughs> okay. And you said you dreamed seeing yourself wrestling. Tell me a little bit more about how your concepts come to you. Mm, absolutely. I had been in a room with a bunch of other artists who were talking and the tensions surrounding racial dynamics was, was deep. It was palpable. It was very real. And like, where does that tension go? For me, it goes somewhere inside. And I had a dream a couple nights later in which I was dressed in a wrestling singlet, like the little tight onesie. And I was wrestling. It was at night and I was wrestling. And there was like a light kind of shining so you could see a little bit of it. And then I woke up the next morning and I thought, oh, I think I have to go wrestle. And the guiding text that was surrounding that feeling was we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And, you know, it works its way up from there. And so I remember armed only with the, the vague confidence of a dream <laughs> that I, I, I started to tell people, I was like, yeah, I think I'm going to go wrestle spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places on eight mile. And the first time I told somebody and I didn't die, and they were like, really? I was like, really? You're saying really? Yeah. And they're like, I was like, okay, this is something to go towards. And so I you know, bought the wrestling singlet, bought some gold shoes. I bought the headpiece and I went to go live into the image that had appeared to me in the dream. So whereas with you know, I started off in poetry, right? So I'd write a poetic image down on a piece of paper. Great, there it is. And now it's in our mind. And then I was an MC, so I started to say these poetic images out loud, great? So we can, through the body, through the mouth, people hear it in the mind. And then there was a shift where I started to move towards the embodied images, where instead of just saying them, I can live inside of them. And so I lived in, I moved into this image of the wrestler and it wasn't my name, it was something that was open so that other people could access it in their own bodies and in their own minds and in their own ways. Um, but the, the end of that story is I was pumped up. I was like, oh, I think I can use this as an art piece. And that's where, man, that is where God started shifting things in my art practice. And so it's funny you say this is my first art thing. It's actually probably my last, one of my, it's the beginning of the end, because I didn't call it an art piece, because I didn't want to go out there and, and be cute. If I'm going to say spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, I'm going to like, and, and when I told a friend and she was like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go do this in October. She was like, wait, that's like, like a month and a half from now. Like, I was like, yeah, you know, before the weather gets cold. And I could, she was like, the, the look in her face, I don't know if she said it specifically. She's like, dude, you're going to get hurt. So, wow. <laughs> so what I did is I, I reached, I was like, oh, you're right. This stuff is real. It's, it's not just cute. And so I reached out to a couple friends who I trusted because I was like, well, if this is a wrestling match, I need to be trained because I want to win. So one of the friends was a trainer for my mind. One of the friends was a trainer for my heart. One of the friends was a trainer for my spirit. And one was a trainer for my body. Wow. And over the next 
six months, we created a website and we moved forward. And I'll tell you, the people started to follow the process and this kind of transmedia process started to develop. Like it wasn't in one specific medium. And I'll tell you, the end of this story is there was, I, the wrestling match was in on a median in between Detroit and Detroit suburbs. And if you're not familiar with that, that is a deep line of division. And that's what the wrestling was at the beginning. It was looking at this line called Eight Mile, which divides the predominantly white suburbs and the predominantly black Detroit. The median was an overlap of outskirts. It's not quite Detroit and it's not quite the suburbs. And we often talk about a line, but you can't exist on a line, right? So this median was a land. And then so when we went there, I'll I'll tell you the the short version of the story because I'm just now starting to tell it. I had a jump rope, which was a part of the practice the entire time. And the jump rope itself is a line. And the practice of training my body, but also the practice of transgressing this line over and over and over and over again became this deep, deep um, image. And so I went out there and I trained on, trained to get my endurance up. Um, Wait a minute, Billy. I yeah. see when I when I first heard you say this, I'm thinking to myself, this is all going to be metaphorical. You know, you're going to be dancing around on a mat by yourself. So what you're saying is you're wrestling somebody. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. Well, that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. And and so Billy, is this what you mean by embodiment? So specifically, as you use the term embodiment of the art, you're physically becoming. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The line itself, eight mile, like you could point to it and you could say that's a geographic line. Like if you travel up to a place, you can find it. But there's, when you talk to an elder who, when they crossed that line back in the 60s, they knew that they had no reason to be up in the suburbs unless, quote, they were doing somebody's lawn and they would hold their breath until they came back down. And you see people from north of the line saying, we would go to a Tigers game and hold our breath until we came back up. But then you talk to a new person, they have a different experience of that line. So that line is at different points in time as well. So somebody's experience of that line is from the 60s. Somebody's is from 2010. Somebody's experience of that line is with them in their heart and in their mind and in their body someplace else right now than it is in mine. And so this line is very deep. And to go in there and to access it, not just as a thought, but with with the flesh, with all of the different dimensions is super important. Did you win? <laughs> you know, that's a great question. So I remember I planned on jumping rope because my trainer was like, when I was a wrestler, our coach would have us jump rope in between sessions just to intimidate them. I was like, I want to do that too. So I trained on cement. We got out there on the median. Jumping on grass is a whole different story. I was like, oh no, I'm not going to be able to do this as planned. And I started around the third round. I I started to... To, to fail, my body was about to be done. I couldn't do it. I couldn't make it the next two minutes. All the tricks, just count to 10 seconds and try to do it. It was, it was done. It was 85 degrees out there. And I thought, well, you know, failure's, failure's a cool art idea too. 
you know, that's sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. This is this is something. And then with you know, with the art community and all the folks on the left side and other folks on the right side of the median, my last ditch effort, and this is on video, was to say I go out of somewhere deep down inside goes, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I said that three times, and I'm not kidding you. The jump rope, the leather jump rope with wood handles that had become this symbol broke. The line broke and I threw it and then continued along the way. I didn't tell that story for like two years because it didn't fit in my worldview. I didn't know how to process that. So I didn't tell anybody that story for two years. So I would say, yes, we won. Is there life after doom? Explore the complexity of hope and grief at our upcoming event, Courage and Resilience, an online gathering with Brian McLaren. Unpack themes from Brian McLaren's new book, Life After Doom. Discover how to find courage, even when everything may feel hopeless. Join us live on May 17th at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. All those who register will have access to the recorded replay for one year. Register at cac.org courage. So today, um, as you reflect, how do you process that moment, that breaking? Like, what, what does that mean to you? Well, I think I'm still processing it. I'm still trying to live in the world in which that is real. And there's so many <laughs> books that I read. There's so many influences that I take in and invite in that, that says that that can't happen. And honestly, I'm just trying. I just keep trying to live in that world. Um, and, and so the different, the different projects that I do, it's tough to call them projects these days, the different ways that I, I seek God through, through art and through life is just trying to get to that place of surrender where I head out in a direction of wrestling spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. Like, what in the world does that mean? I don't even know what that means. But to put myself in that place of surrender where I don't know the answer and instead of demonstrating my ability, it's just like depending on God. And God keeps meeting me, even through the arts, in these deeply uh, profound and, and mystical ways, I would even say. I would even say that. It's beyond my description. Um, and it's, yeah, so I just try to keep living in that world. You use the term surrender. Uh, a lot. And um, it's one of the things that really impressed me uh, about you. There was a very unique way that I observed you surrender. It seemed scary to me at times, <laughs> um, the way you submit and surrender. And is that a theme that s resonates in, in every aspect of your life, not just your work, but is that a core value, core belief that sits with Billy Mark? Well, if it was a core theme or core value, that means that I would like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess it is. It is. I just see that as the path. That's like the way, the way, not just forward, but the way deeper. 
like something something needs to die something needs to be let go of in order for for me or for my friends or for this world to have anything anything deeper i mean otherwise we're just recycling the things that we already have and know and i just i would say that surrenders the way it just seems to be the way deeper for me it's a good message to a generation that is wrestling and has been wrestling with issues of race and gender, sexuality, and a predominant view of what life is like, which truncates and cuts off mystery. And so it's almost as if we are pioneers again, seeking out the mysteries that are and welcoming them back into our lives. Um, we can wrestle with pandemics and environmental issues. Is that really going to change anything? Unless we also include the mystery of God's presence in unexpected ways. Thank God for the rope breaking. Amen. God knows when to show up. That metaphor of the, of the rope really, so many applications on so many different levels. When you spoke about Eight Mile growing up here in Detroit in the, in the 80s, that line had a very specific and very significant meaning to many people who lived on the Detroit side of Eight Mile. And for some people, crossing Eight Mile gave them a sense of meaning, belonging, a sense of arriving. That line, in so many ways, it was artificial but also deceptive because it gave the indication that you had to move or relocate in order to have value or to be accepted in our culture. And so as you shared that story about it breaking, I reflected back to my initial understanding of 8 Mile and how um, the rope breaking, it also meant that my understanding, my initial origin of understanding of what that line meant also breaks, right? How the stories or the narratives that we are taught oftentimes are not completely accurate. And uh, and so that breaking really speaks to that. And so I, I just thank you for that. And it's amazing that you mm-hmm. were unable to share that for two years. <laughs> and I know about, I think it was about a year, maybe it was a year and a half ago, it was before Billy, right at the beginning of the pandemic, it was right at the beginning of the pandemic. You and I met, and uh, you shared with me one of your upcoming collapse or one of your upcoming projects, The Ways a Suit Can Move. Speak a little bit more about what that project meant to you and some of the results of that project, How some of the outcomes of that project. Uh, I, I just want our listeners and in, um, in the world around us to really hear your willingness to surrender for a period of time to travel the country to share a story. And uh, so tell us a little bit more about Absolutely. that collab and that project. Uh, we have to think back to October 2020. Remember way back then, way back then, <laughs> the tension in the country was at such a deep level, such a, such a high, such a high point. And, and Dr. B, you talked about like surrendering towards the mystery. And that includes the mystery in ourselves. That includes the mystery in the other. That includes the mystery of some of these huge, complicated um, social 
pains that we don't fully understand. Um, and, and, just, and Donnie, you also talked about like redefining the stories that we've received. And I think that sometimes there's a story, but we can, we can relook at that story. Like that's the ones that get passed down. They're not something set in stone. There's something that we can relook at. And so in October, 2020, I just, I, I, I got a suit and I got a $400 suit, which is for me a lot of money. And I got a red, nice blue tie and a red tie. And I went on a listening tour of the United States, starting in Northern California, going down to LA, across the South, over to Louisiana, and then up back towards Detroit. And what were you listening for, Billy? Oof, man. You know, I don't know. I think I that's I I was just listening. And sometimes and I think sometimes I don't know what I'm listening for until I hear it. Um, and, um, and so that process was again, this process, which seems to be a thing that I find myself in for lack of a better term, a transmedia story, a transmedia prayer. I'm still wrestling with this in which the story is told through different mediums along the way. And, and so, yes, there's videos, there's writing there's a bunch of things there's performances but you know i'll take i'll share one of the stops on that was at the googleplex in mountain view california and this was more of an idea actually this is more of a project so i had kind of gotten the surveillance capitalism blues okay we've all had those (laughs) you know when you're like what am i supposed to do am i going to throw away my phone that's not going to happen Am I, am I going to let my entire identity be sold virtually? Probably. So, so, so we what we did is we we created a sound map, which uses a Google map, and it creates these different points, um, like pins around on a map, in which normally you could just find out how you you know you go to the grocery store and it'll tell you the map route there. But these pins are used to um, you can attach audio files. So if you have an app, you can walk there, and then once you go into that specific location, it plays the music. It's a long description. So we created a sound map. A friend of mine did a composer, and this piece that we were going to do along this, along my journey of ways this who can move, was called offering. I was going to offer my body as a living sacrifice to God, next to the Googleplex, and, um. <laughs> Well, this story is overwhelming. Even though we allow our bodies to be rendered each day through these technological means, I didn't intend for this to be a finger-wagging session at anybody. That doesn't get me very far. Instead, it was, what in the world does offer your body as a living sacrifice to God? Not just mean, but what does it do? So coming back to this theme of surrender, it's like there will be these places or these texts or these scriptures that I don't understand. And instead of, instead of thinking about them more, my mode as an artist seems to be placing my body and my heart and my mind and my spirit within the mystery. The map was 
seven different sites and they were set at seven different times throughout the day. I am deeply influenced by the, the, the liturgy of the hours and monasticism mm. and how that is this huge, beautiful, poetic structure. This poetry is architectural form. I love it. <laughs> Life moves in and out of it. So that's what helps me place my body inside of a poetic space. Um, but, you know, I, whew, I'm going to try to, like, it's, there's a, like a long story of this, so I'm trying to figure out. I'll tell you the, the do you want me to tell you like a little bit of it or? Keep going. Yeah, this, is, this is wonderful. Oh, man. We started at five o'clock in the morning and I told the composer, don't tell me what any of the music is. Don't tell me what any of the music is. I just want to go out there, press play, and offer my body. I just said, just tell me the amounts of times. Just tell me how long the pieces are. He said, well, the first one is 26 minutes. The rest are around eight minutes. I was like, done. I trust you. At five o'clock in the morning, it needs to be 26 minutes long. And at five o'clock in the morning, up on this grassy hill north of the Googleplex, it was pitch black, the photographer who joined me was there. I didn't even know if this process was going to work. Technology, you know how technology goes. Like, oh man, I've flown all the way over here. This is the only shot we got. Is it going to work? I pressed play. And it was this low tone of like, it sounded like a buried saxophone played at like 40 hertz for 26 minutes. And I just let go of everything. My face went down into the hill and the whole earth took the weight of my body and yada, 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 <laughs> 26 minutes later, I came up and we can talk about that some other time. I came up and you know, when you're in the, when you're in the presence of God, I was in the presence of God for those 26 minutes. And when I came up, Somewhere deep inside of me, I said, I said, I don't want to leave. As I was overlooking the, the lights of the Googleplex and this construction zone that they're creating this wild new architectural thing. As I looked over, I said, I don't want to leave. And there was two times where I heard the voice of God that day. And the first one said, at that moment said, you don't have to. And I was filled with a, an unspeakable joy <laughs> and also this melancholy. It's because I felt that, that like continually pressing in love of God, this unconditional love that just comes from that mystery because how can something be unconditional, right? So I could feel it pressing in on my body, in on all my heart, in on everything. I could feel it in that moment. And that's what gave me joy. And I said, oh, I don't want to leave this. And God was like, you don't have to. But I knew, I was like, oh, you're not going to leave. But I will. <laughs> but I will. And um, I'll share some more stories of, of, of that at some other point. But it, 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 it just progressively got more intense as the day went on.
Typically, we end with a reflection of every episode. However, Billy Mark led us in a practice of silent reflection. So today, we're going to leave you with that reflection in this episode. A lot of your art is is so contemplative. There, there is this. Um, you said, you know, you wrote poetry, and I've heard some of your poetry. But it looks like a lot of it is also silent. What is it about silence that amplifies your art? Mm, what a great question. For me, poetry isn't something that is just written down on the page. It is a it is a language act. It is a life act. And it is a musical act. And there is no music. There is no sound without silence. And actually, it was uh, two years ago where I started to improvise not words, but silences. I just turned it around. And so instead of, you know, I, I would say yakking. Yakking is not, <laughs> not, not, a, not a nice term, but it's, you know, instead of, instead of talking for for a long time, I started to to shape the experience with silences. And for me, that's what really opened up uh, something else. And hey, you want, should I do some? Should we do some right now? Can we do sure. some? Oh, okay, great. So can you, can you guys do it with me? Sure. Sure. <laughs> so we'll all work with the silences together. So just to, just to put into context, I would do like a small silence, a small silence, a long silence. A small silence, a small silence, a long silence. So I'll, I'll start to play with that. And if you guys just want to bring in a word or even a phrase, or if you, if you feel like you need to go longer than a phrase, do that as well. But we'll just kind of go forward and we'll just use silences as the, as the, the form. Okay, whenever you guys are ready. We begin to hear children. Their small steps. The hallway. The meaning of closeness. The touch of the skin. The remembrance of death. Something so close that all the silences wrap around the body of our youth full desire. Don't be afraid. I am with you always. You sculpt us with a hard edge, sometimes soft, sometimes clear. And we reach out. Wind, flowing wind.
sometimes it hurts. The cup bangs openly. And all the music, all of it, 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 comes tumbling out like the juice of an orange. squeezed into the overlap of common voices. All my life, been grinding all my life, finally free. Wholeness. A return to wholeness. And then there's a point of a sigh that sneaks out like the ending or like the beginning of a breath, let there be light. Wonderful. That feels like being in the presence of spirit. Is there any of your poetry that you'd like to share as we close out? I think that was it. Oh, my goodness. Yes, it was. <laughs> Such poetry in silence and your ability to inhabit it so fully is healing hmm. to people who come toting their brokenness. Blessings, Billy Mark. <laughs> And thank you for being with us. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Billy. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And uh, thank you for the experience. Thank you guys for putting on this podcast. It's going to mean so much to so many people. I know your guys' work has meant so much to me. So thank you. Blessings. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.